Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And we want to thank you for joining us again for another adventure this week. Uh, It's really great to uh, have those of you who listen along and give us feedback and correspond with us. Mm -hmm. uh, Let us know what you're thinking in regards to our episodes. It's it's a pleasure to to do this each week, and it's it's a fun opportunity for Mark and I just to have some time to talk about issues going on in our church or in our world, uh, things that we're reading and responding to, and that's actually what we're going to be getting into this week. So here at Ammon Valley, one of the things that I do uh, is lead the adult Sunday school class, and it's become sort of a tradition of mine over the summers to step away from doing a normal sort of lecture-style class where I give, normally throughout the school year, I'll give lectures for my Sunday school classes, uh, but for, for the summer, I make it easy on myself and for everybody else. Well, actually, maybe it gives people more work to do <laughs> <laughs> because we choose to read books, and so I always select a book for the summer, and this year we are reading through uh, a recent book published by Carl Truman, who is a professor of church history and other things. I'm actually not entirely sure, but I know his expertise yep. is in church history. And theology. And yep. theology. Yep. And he was at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Truman is a Englishman, but now he lives in the United States, and currently he is a professor at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, which is a liberal arts college as far as i know and mm-hmm. it has i think it's connected actually to the pc usa of mm-hmm. all things maybe it's not officially pc usa uh, but he is a conservative uh, thinker he's he is a theologian and i think he's actually an ordained minister in the opc the orthodox yeah. presbyterian church um, so anyways that's a little bit of introduction to him this book strange new world with the subtitle how Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution is a really profound book, uh, and we want to talk a little bit about the book today. This is not a book review. We're actually going to use the book mainly as a springboard uh, to talk about a few things going on in our world. Um, Mark, have you been reading the book? Uh, yeah, I'll pick it up, and okay. um, it, it's, it is a good book for... Just kind of jumping in and out of a little bit, yeah. like um, uh, so yeah, I've 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 sat in on a couple of the classes, and so I have the book. Yeah, and, Mark and comes I've, when he can. <laughs> yeah, often after church, I'm on certain Sundays I am engrossed in conversation, right. and other Sundays there's different things that I have to do right after church. Yeah, I don't and, mean to put you on the hot seat. No, no, by it's okay. You if you've read it, um, I know you've read parts of it at least. Yeah, um, no, we've I talked about it a good bit. I, I've enjoyed it. It's. Um, I think it would be really good for anybody who is starting to think deeper, starting to, to be more interested in names like Nietzsche and Freud and um, somebody who uh, wants to take... And Marx, even. Yeah, Marx. Uh, take a deeper dive than um, just kind of what pop 
pop culture, pop philosophy will give you just listening to the news or the talking heads on um, Fox News or CNN or Daily Wire. If you want to go a little deeper, this is a really good resource for that because it's not purely intellectual. It's not like reading a textbook, um, but it also, and neither is it just pop, you know, pop philosophy. Yeah, one of the reasons he wrote the book is to in a sense, explain how we've gotten to where we are yeah. today in yeah. 21st Western, 21st century Western culture, uh, which is kind of a broad uh, label <laughs> yeah. to even call our culture, but we'll, we'll go with that. And so one of the sort of starting questions he, he begins the book with, and I should say, by the way, uh, that this book is a shortened version of a longer mm-hmm. book that he wrote called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which came out, I believe, in 2020. Uh, so that's a that's a good book if you want a sort of fuller and more comprehensive uh, expedition through these things. But he wrote this book in order to answer the question, how did the statement, uh, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, formerly not make sense, but now today it does make perfect sense to the average person. So he talks about how if somebody, would, somebody would have said that to his grandpa, a couple generations ago, his grandpa would have been clueless as to what that meant and would have sounded, or would have thought that that sounded like a pretty um, hard to understand mm-hmm. statement. It would yeah. have sounded a little bit off, or actually very off. Whereas now, for the common person, a statement, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, especially amongst younger generations, seems to make intuitive, perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And so the question that the book sort of begins with is how did it? How did this happen? Uh, and so it's an intellectual history through various thinkers that we've already mentioned a few of them: Karl Marx, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, or Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Sigmund Freud, and others. And it's also looking at not just the intellectual history, but what, what technological advancements mm-hmm. or changes in the way that that we live our lives, the way that we function as humans. Uh, societal changes, what what technologies have been created specifically that have made uh, these these changes in our culture more feasible, more mm-hmm. plausible. Um, and so there's lots of technological advancements that have changed the way we work and have therefore changed uh, how we think of socioeconomic classy, classes um, and how men and women relate to one another. Of course, there's contraception, abortion, which have totally changed uh, how we understand sex and the significance of sex and procreation. Mm -hmm. Um, And those have sort of rubbed away at the edges of uh, of what the distinctions were between men and women. Mm -hmm. And so the book is pretty broad in trying to tell a story of just how we've gotten here. I've found that it's really helpful for older generations in our church uh, as they've begun to sort of make sense of the changes that they've yeah. seen, especially in the, even the last five or six years, things have become, begun to move in a very rapid pace, and it's been very, uh, you could say, disorienting and mm-hmm. uh, making them wonder, what is, what is going on? And so even this last Sunday, we had an interesting discussion in our class, which really is what's prompting this episode today. Uh, about changes that have begun to take place in our culture. And so there was there was one story from one person in our class about uh, they were having to make somebody sign something at a 
at a uh, a food bank. A food bank. Yeah. Uh, somebody was, I think, receiving food or clothing. An elderly person. So it's it's a food bank right. for elderly people who are poor. Yeah, it's retired people who need help. Uh, so a person of our church volunteers there, and they have to have them sign things. And he said historically they've always just had them. Uh, sort of fill out basic information about themselves and their income, yeah. their age. Over 65 and make less than 20 grand a year or something. Right. Like and that. so then, yeah, then you're available or you're, 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 uh, you're, you, you qualify. You qualify right? for getting, yeah, for yeah. getting help. Uh, but recently there's been uh, a mandate by the state of California that asks them on this sheet that the person has to fill out in order to receive uh, food or clothing, uh, what, sex were you assigned at birth and what what gender do you claim now or something along those yeah, lines and then a lot of racial uh, uh, classifications and so forth too right they and so yeah. this this person who was talking about this uh was just really just surprised that this is now taking place that they're being forced to ask other mostly elderly people uh, these questions whereas even for elderly people from <laughs> a vast majority of them, yeah. even questions like this, have made people who are signing this document question what, what's going on here? Why am yeah. I signing this? Um, and so yeah, it makes them suspicious. It sounded like it, like um, it, or even especially confused. I would say. Um, right. So somebody comes to the food bank and says, uh, "I'm I'm confused about if I qualify now for it." Like mm-hmm. because they're asking all these questions. And so it gives the sense for the people coming, we only want to cater to or, or serve a certain type of person. And maybe that, that's probably not true, but mm. among elderly people who, who don't work with these qualifications, yeah. um, it, it is like looking into a different world yeah. in a way. And that's because this organization, I would believe, I would, I would guess, uh, maybe takes government funding. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. It wasn't, I don't think, a Christian uh, organization that, that our church member was working with. It's just a volunteer group. And so because of this, the state has a little bit of a say in how they operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just one example. I'm sure people who are listening to this have probably heard of such things. I, I certainly have. And I know younger people listening to this will say, oh, of course. You know, that's, yeah. just, that's just normal how things, you how things are <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, but that just goes back to the point of this This book is trying to help us make sense of what's going on around us. And so this particular chapter we were looking at, which is kind of kind of springboard us here, talks about, and this p- chapter that we were looking at is called Plastic People, mm-hmm. Liquid World. Um, and he's talking about how our world has become liquid. Um, and what he means by this is that historically we had anchors for sort of uh, finding our own personal identity. Yeah. And those anchors traditionally would have been, uh, in the in Western culture, it would have been first your family. You sort of f- find who you are by being... Uh, raised in a family uh, with your family name, you have your parents, your grandparents, you have your siblings, your aunts and uncles, and then your your next sort of center of identity would have been the religious institution to which you belonged. Uh, often that was wherever your family belonged. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't often go out trailblazing religiously and go find your own religion for yourself. Mm-hmm. You would just sort of take on whatever was sort of handed down to you. Uh, And then thirdly, the third major part of your identity would have been a part of your nation, whichever nation you belonged to. Um, 
And so in this chapter, he talks about how these three centers of identity uh, have really become liquid. They have they have sort of dissolved in many mm-hmm. ways. Um, and now we, we find identity and our belonging and our purpose in various other ways. And this got good conversation starting um, with the group that we had. And we thought it was fascinating just how different communities have raised up from the proverbial ashes um, and how people have found their identity mm-hmm. uh, from different groups. Yeah, and um, uh, one of the things that, again, aids this is technology. And so um, because there is, I think we can safely say, less face-to-face sense of community um, that would be family going to church um, in person, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, that would be an assumption until about three years ago, right? Um, uh, because there's less of that and more technological virtual community, um, what that ends up being mm-hmm. creating is more niche communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, for example, uh, you gave the example of anime, you know, Japanese mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. cartoon art. And how there's such a strong uh, community built up over that, or in my yeah. family, Disney fans. Yep. So, yeah. like uh, people who like we or we gamers. watch Disney <laughs> vlogs, and and we we like to know what's happening in the parks and all that. And yeah. and there's a small community of people who are very devoted to mm-hmm. going to Disney World or Disneyland a lot, and and that becomes like you hate like like their church in some ways yeah. um um maybe not for my family as much as but for some families it's like a spiritual experience almost to mm. to go to Disneyland to go to Disney World and to participate in this online community of um buying merchandise and eating at the right restaurants and knowing what's happening with uh the CEO and yeah, and all that out your trip right and so um that that ends up becoming the community um, maybe until something else comes along, and mm-hmm. and the the part of the chapter that really struck me as as extremely insightful and and helpful in diagnosing something in our culture is how this very I would say fickle or virtual um, community ties ends up creating an insecurity in people. Yeah, because I think deep down people recognize that their anime community or their Disney fan community does not have the, uh, <laughs> the philosophical um, a weight to it or value to it mm. that they need in order to know how to respond to 9-11 and COVID right. and my, my uncle dying and my kid getting sick with cancer. It's like there, mm. there's, a, there, there's a community that is built up but oh, yeah. it's 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 so niche and it's so philosophically bankrupt that what it, what it ends up producing is a very insecure populace, I would say. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I I really found that to be helpful, and I don't mean mean that to say that in like a critical or, or condemning way, but I think that we've seen the manifestation of that through COVID, where um, people, uh, if we compare it to the Great Depression people who would have had a church to go to, um, some philosophical grounding. Um, people were no more educated. In fact, were far less educated in that time. But philosophically, I would say they were probably more educated that 
well, we still can't steal, and it's still not yeah. a good idea to riot, and it's mm. still not good that I loot, uh, yeah that I would like just leave my family in these dire situations, um, yeah. but that has eroded in a lot of ways through technology and philosophies mm. over time to cause so that now COVID has been just earth shattering, absolutely earth shattering to so many people. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety and unrest yeah. that people have felt. Uh, because there haven't been these sort of deep senses of communal ties, uh, th- there are these these little communities, and we're all probably a part of them yeah. in some way. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, the Disney community. Uh, one of the examples I use is Facebook groups that I'm involved in. Um, so a lot of these Facebook groups are theologically based, mm-hmm. but some of them are affinity based, like like pipe smoking for, for one of them. Or one of them is even a mixture of the two. It's called Reformed <laughs> Pipe and Cigar Lounge. So it's <laughs> Reformed Theology mixed in with... Uh, with tobacco, basically, <laughs> uh, and the hobby of tobacco. And so there, there's all sorts of things like yeah. this. And I, I shared the anime community. It's not something I'm particularly interested in. Uh, or music genres. But, would or, be yeah, one. totally. I'm, yeah. A, I'm, in, I'm in some music groups as well on Facebook. And we've, I think, yeah, we've seen the sort of uh, the emptiness of these groups. That For a lot of people, they find their identity in these things, but then they eventually realize these sorts of communities don't provide true meaning, true purpose. Yeah. They don't ground my identity, and they're, as you said, they're quite fickle. Yeah. Uh, they, they can't help us in ways uh, that we may need when something disastrous happens in our lives, whether that's something like COVID or the death of a loved one. Uh, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with them per se, but... It's oh, uh, it's correct. it's making them an ultimate identity marker, and so I yeah. think that, again that's what the book does a good job of is saying uh, we many people have shifted off of their identity being found in their family, in their faith, uh, yeah. also in their their national. Uh, so mm-hmm. like being American, being oh, man. very important. We're a part of a global community now, right? And people um, don't care so much about national ties. And I think that you still see that in in certain areas of of our culture. There you still see a lot of patriotism. But um, as as patriotism, I think we can fairly say has diminished. Um, people yeah. would maybe be a lot less excited to sing the national anthem or mm. salute the flag or um, serve in the armed forces. Maybe then, yeah. then certainly those in what's called the greatest generation in the 1940s would have. Those are sacred identity markers. And what's interesting about <clears throat> patriotism now is that patriotism seems to be the holdout of people who hold to a particular stripe of patriotism. Yeah. Historically, patriotism, the, the American consciousness, for example, would have included people who very much disagreed with you. Um, mm-hmm. There was a commitment to each other, despite yeah. our political disagreements. But now patriotism, at least in its more uh, m- openly manifest forms, is a way of signaling your support for a particular brand or political party what you think america should be right yeah um and so and you think other people are totally un-american yeah um and it's it's an interesting way of flexing in a sense oh for sure Uh, and an example of that that i can think of is when kennedy was assassinated hmm. it was a time of profound national mourning yeah now he was a very controversial figure um and there would have been a lot of republicans who were very opposed to President yeah. Kennedy and his policies and so forth. Um, but when he was 
you know, my, so my parents grew up in a very Republican community. Hmm. Um, and, uh, my, my parents recall the day that Kennedy was assassinated and the yeah. kids were all crying in, um, in their class. Mm-hmm. And so those were Republican kids who were just struck with grief that the president died yeah. and the president and what that meant was so profound to them. Uh, I think it was. It's actually beautiful that they were actually sad that their president died. Yeah, um, despite where, their disagreements. Whereas now, um, my goodness, I I think that uh, I think that people would be sad if there was an assassination of our president. Hmm. But it would, it God would, it, it would yeah. be a, yeah, it would be a different feeling. I would say a national feeling. Um, yeah, even in the way that people certainly talked about Donald Trump and oh, you know yeah. being hung in effigy, being beheaded in effigy right. um, by comedians, that um, th- there's a different sentiment because um, the ultimate identity marker has become a little bit more politicized. I would yeah. say, yeah, we no longer was. find our personal identity in our our national group. Yeah, right. Um, so he makes the point in the book in this chapter uh, about how. He says this as an as an Englishman from England, uh, that it was interesting to him how the cause of George Floyd, something that happened mm-hmm. in the Midwest of the United States, uh, was felt very deeply by people back home in England. Um, and there was, you may may have seen it. To those of you who are listening, you may have seen news back in 2020. Um, for for weeks, I believe people were gathering in places like Trafalgar Square to. Mm to protest and in to Paris, stand up for, for yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, and it's just an interesting, and it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a cause that people believed in, but it's just interesting that people feel now, because of technological advancements, we feel an attachment to these sorts of things. Uh, and he knows how it was that's a, sort of a severe contrast to the events going on in Hong Kong, where England actually has a lot of historic ties to Hong Kong, mm. uh, but with things that are going on there, there's not as much of a of a feeling uh, that people in England exhibited, which was just interesting. So yeah. They're not really tied to their national uh, history as much as they are now tied to a sort of meta-community of sorts uh, that now exists because of the rise of things like social media. Yeah, and so... Um one of the other things that struck me from the chapter is um, how so much of these identities offer moving targets, and and I think that that's very profoundly related to uh, the insecurity that people feel. Um, for example, yeah. like you think of the social justice causes, and you know we are we're a church that uh, we're really trying to do better in how we engage with the community around us. And I think that we are in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. there's some actually exciting new ministries that are starting to care for the poor. Um, but, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that if somebody walked into Almond Valley or looked on our church website, that they would get the sense immediately that this is like the most important thing about our church, that we mm-hmm. do social justice. Yeah. Um, whereas among communities, including churches that are all in on the the social justice um, zeitgeist, you might mm-hmm. say, um, there's there's a constantly moving target about what that even means. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that would have con- been considered justice uh, 10 years ago is not really a hot issue anymore, and so it's kind of left behind for something that is new, and that might even change in the next six months. Mm. And what it ends up 
creating is is a bit of an insecurity about what we're supposed to be doing, yeah. uh, what we're supposed to care about, how we're even supposed to talk about things, um, talk about particularly racial issues as that is so often a moving target over hmm. a course of five or ten years. Terms are now called racist that were used a little while ago. Things yeah. that were called racist a little while ago are now good again. Yeah, the um, established... Uh, words or vocabulary for what is right or what's politically correct and yeah. what's politically incorrect it's it's frequently changing and i'm not i don't have a big problem with speaking in politically correct terminology yeah, right sometimes it can rub me the wrong way certain certain kinds of language uh, but yeah, for the and, most part i don't have any problems with just saying the politically incorrect i don't want to step on toes or sure. offend people needlessly yeah we're not we're not suggesting that political correctness is always a bad thing um, it's just an interesting thing to notice how much it changes it, that's yeah that's my point is what is considered correct is of such a moving target mm-hmm. that um, if that becomes the most important thing to a church or a uh, or a person it's it's very tenuous ground to stand on mm-hmm. I gave the example of the show friends mm-hmm. and so friends was a progressive show um, when it came out, yeah, yeah um, totally. And and now in recent weeks, the uh, the main writer of Friends and the creator of the show has said how ashamed she is of what the show was in being heteronormative and um, I think overwhelmingly white. Uh, and so it's interesting reading some of the comments on this these videos of of this this person apologizing because it'll be like a, a person who says, "I'm Latino. I love the show." I don't really care that it was mostly just white people. It was just supposed to be funny, and that was kind of the point of the show. And I know Seinfeld's been criticized for similar kinds of reasons, too. Um, but these, these things that are deemed progressive at one point um, are now actually mm-hmm. deemed offensive uh, right. in, in this culture now. And uh, again... The field, go- uh, field or the, the goalposts are yeah. kind of moving. And my point like. isn't to defend Friends or Seinfeld, but it is to say... When the um, the the goals or the identity or the um, the the value assessments of things is so um, f- feeling based um, based on current trends hmm. um, that will result in a profound insecurity. It will result probably in people not feeling like, like they could ever say almost anything publicly. Yeah. Because with for fear of this being very offensive, you know, yeah. six months from now, even if they're you feel tr- like you're trying walking to be on a tightrope, right, right. And so, uh, I guess I would want to contrast that with hmm. the biblical identity, uh, which is to say, love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Him, worship Him, uh, yeah. set your life on Him and His law, and love your neighbor as yourself. Live in love, um, and and be secure in that calling right and so something that seems unloving today and is deemed unloving by our culture but is called loving by god's word we can be secure and living in that way yeah it seems as though uh, as our culture moves away from any sort of transcendent transcendent view of morality there's more and more of a subjectivity of a moral relativism uh and so what is seen as right today may be seen as wrong tomorrow. Yeah. And that can lead to people feeling like, am I, am I 
can I be sure that what I'm doing is is right? This this leads to yeah that sort of a liquid feeling. Everything is liquid. Everything is 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 a moving part, uh, and I can't have security. I can't have um, I can't have a really deep community. Um, and I think that these are things that the gospel does speak to. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the the Christian life is one where we can have deep community. It's not that we always are guaranteed to have it uh, in our own experience, but mm-hmm. we're guaranteed to have it there at, on offer, at least. The church gives us a community, and the Christian faith gives us an identity. We are in Christ. We are those who are united to him, and he it is no longer we who live, but he yeah. who lives in us. Yeah. Um, and so our, our identity is fundamentally changed, um, and we are given purpose. And these are things that I think young people in particular, with the way that the world is, are feeling like they do not have. They yeah. don't have a sense of community, identity, or purpose. Uh, those three things are, I think, what has led to, in a lot of ways, the increase in rates of depression, anxiety, even suicide, uh, that people don't have a, a, a grounding. solid grounding yeah. underneath them. Yeah. Um, and so life just seems to be in flux. It seems like they're always searching for something that they cannot find. Um, and they're being told that in fact, you cannot find it. It does not exist. Hmm. Uh, so just find your happiness and your identity and whatever, uh, sort of floats your boat at any given moment in time. Um, and that may work for a while. Um, but I don't think that that is satisfying, uh, for for most people, yeah, um, and the Bible offers us very very different uh, a very di- different approach to this. Um, I think of the 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 wisdom books, particularly Proverbs, which talks about finding our wisdom in God is by fearing the Lord, it's by humbling ourselves, it's by obeying Him, and how this helps us to live the quote unquote good life, if you will. Mm. Um, it's not going to be a perfect life, but it will help us live a life where there is joy, even in the face of our suffering and the misery that we encounter, the tragedies that we encounter, uh, when things all go wrong around us, like coronavirus or the death of a loved one, there can still be an eternal anchor and hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is maybe even something that we can add in passing here, uh, we were talking about this episode yesterday, just chatting and riffing on the, these ideas, and we noticed together, Mark, about how for many young people this has led to the, a movement towards traditional forms of Christianity, yeah. uh, like Catholicism or Orthodoxy even. Uh, and this will be confusing for a lot of people, but if you understand where young people are coming from in this sort of mixed-up liquid world you can understand how they would want something solid. They would want something old and unchanging, or at least mm-hmm. that's the, the argument that's made. Yeah. Um, and so I can understand. Like an anchor. Yeah. I can be, I'm sympathetic to it. Uh, for me, in, in lots of ways, this is why I landed in Reformed theology. Now the Catholic or the Orthodox person would say that <laughs> it is a very liquid tradition even still. Sure. Um, okay, I don't think it is, but... Uh, <laughs> That's that's okay. You can make that argument, but you can see how traditional forms of Christianity are sort of making a comeback. And in in the main, I say that's a good thing. Um, I think historic Christianity is good, um, and 
I'm I'm a big fan of creedal confessional orthodoxy, uh, lowercase o. Uh, I I love that Christians, young Christians, even many of them are getting sick and tired of of the liquidity of our world, the ever changing goalposts of morality, including Uh, in the evangelical church. Yeah, and are looking for something more stable. Yeah, Um, and so it's not happening, you know, in the masses. But I, I know lots of people. I've connected with lots of friends online through those Facebook groups or what have you, where I've met others on a similar journey even to myself. And so in that regard, I think there's there's reason to, to be hopeful here. Um, yeah. People are sensing the liquidity of our world, and they are no longer satisfied by it. Yeah. Uh, it's not fulfilling its promises. It's not following through on its promises. And so there's reasons to keep our chins up as Christians, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, we talk a lot on this podcast about the Reformed identity and the, the, the core marker of Reformed teaching and theology is theocentrism. Yeah. So theocentrism, that's not a word people would normally use in their daily vocabulary. <laughs> By that we mean keeping God at the center, yeah, keep, keeping God as the mover, God as the actor, God is the one who saves. God is the one, you know, the, who who the Bible is about, who the world is about. Yeah. Um, like as it says in, in Romans, from him, through him, and to him oh, are man, all yeah. things, right? And, and Colossians 1, that Christ holds all things together. In him, all things hold together. And so um, contrast that theocentrism with the anthropocentrism of many of these um I would say churches, uh, movements, which uh, obsesses about how people are responding to things, and so I can't mm. say that because people might respond, not might not respond well to that. The church, evangelical church, is doing that all the time right now, and saying we can't teach straight through a long book of the Bible because people won't respond well to that. People would get bored with that. Um, we can't take a strong stand on this um, issue, like something like same-sex marriage, because people might not respond in the way that we think. And so what it ends up being is an erosion of our identity, our theocentric identity, shifting onto a more anthropocentric understanding of how we should do church. Yeah. Um, if, to, to be really frank, I guess, I, I see some of this with the hesitancy to start meeting again in person hmm. um, in church because, well, the government won't respond well to that. Or our community won't respond yeah, well won't because people are afraid still of getting sick with COVID. Um, whereas, and hey, maybe some people do still need to be careful about COVID on an individual basis, can make that decision. Yeah. However, when a church is making its decision based on what the government might think or what the community, what might, the community might, might perceive that to be. It could seem like kind of a Trumpy thing to do, yeah. uh, especially early in the, uh, the yeah, COVID. Especially if you're in a more progressive city or right. location. Oh, right. it's, it's going to signal to people that a, a certain political message that we mm-hmm. don't want to show. Well, that's shifting away from a theocentric way of understanding worship and church and onto what might people think or say right. b- because of, uh, our decision-making to meet, again, in person. And so uh, that is where, again, I think the Reformed theocentric view actually lines up quite nicely with the Roman Catholic and Orthodox, because Hmm. what happens when you go to a Roman Catholic church? You walk in and you say, these people 
are not all that concerned with what I might think about how this is going to go. Yeah. They're going to do it their way. Yep. And this is the way it's done. It, <laughs> this is the way they're going to do it. it. It's it, for better, for worse. You know, maybe yeah. it could be a little bit more, um, I don't know, thoughtful and engaging people with why we're standing and sitting and mm-hmm. saying this. Like, so we, we could explain things, which we try to do at our church. Yeah. But what the appeal to many people is that hmm. that's just the way it's going to be because that's the way they believe God says it should be done. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of respect that, that people can give to that. And I think you can certainly refine uh, find that in Reformed circles um, and, and actually in many of the people, the newer members who are coming to our church, both brand new Christians and um, people shifting from a more mega church to our church, that's one of the appealing things to them is the hmm. sense that they get for, we're going to do things this way because it's in the Bible and we're going to read the Ten Commandments. And this past Sunday we said the Nicene Creed and mm-hmm. we're, we're going to do these things because they're just good. Yeah, and and um, maybe not everyone liked saying the Nicene Creed, but it seems like a good thing to do in the course of uh, uh, worship, um, based on sort of a, a Catholic uh, mentality, right? So, yeah. um, I guess I could maybe summarize this with Isaiah twenty-six. You know, mm-hmm. uh, keeping a theocentric view will lead to this security, where um, in Isaiah twenty-six verses three, verse three, the Lord keeps in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfastly set on him because that hmm. person trusts in him. So there's a peace that comes with this solidity um, that I think a lot of people in our world are going to be hungry for. Uh, if not already, it will be happening as the liquidity of their identities increases. It's, it's very likely people will turn to something, wanting something solid. And so hopefully the church can be that thing because of a theocentric reason, not by offering another anthropocentric identity marker. Yeah, that, this reminds me of Psalm 1, which uh, have you talked about recently in a sermon? I, I, well, no, I did Psalm um, 112 as my wisdom psalm, which is okay. a lot like Psalm 1. Yeah, yeah. so Psalm 1, fa- the famous words, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you have walking, standing, sitting. Right. And then it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Um, there's a there's a solidity to to this and to resting in God, finding our, our whole selves in God. Uh, this is what the Catechism teaches in Question and Answer 1, that I am not my own, that's my great comfort, but I am God's, I belong in body and in soul to yeah. God. Uh, and so... That is where we find our solidity. And so it goes on even in this psalm to talk about how this person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And so there's this sort of solidity solidity that can only be found in a transcendental hmm. understanding, and that's the belief in God. Um, and the Christian understands this as, of course, not just in any God, but in the triune God who yeah. has revealed himself in his word and in the flesh uh, and has come and dwelt among us and died for us. Yeah, and I think when, when people walk into a church, I would guess they can subconsciously sense this is theocentric or this is anthropocentric. And mm-hmm. um, it, for these people struggling with these identity questions, 
it's not going to be helpful to go in and find a church that is just wanting them to be happy. Yeah. Um, or uh, an anthropocentric in the very political sense. Uh, this is a church that is politically liberal, and um, it's going to tell me how to vote on a referendum. I have I saw a pastor doing something like that a, a few years ago where, well, referendum uh, Q32 is coming up, and we got to make sure this passes people. You know, oh, And so, again, an anthropocentric identity marker is a political affiliation, and it happens, of course... On the right, on side. the right side as well. When yeah, you go to totally. to Robert Jefferson's church, and um, you're seeing and, the battle hymn of the republic. Yeah, or it, it's very uh, red blooded, red blooded Republicans uh, <laughs> sense that almost um, one could even feel that you couldn't even be a member of that church if you were to talk about in a democratic way about an issue. Mm-hmm. And so again, an anthropocentric identity marker that is not going to offer people a real security. Yeah. Um, or are they going to enter into a church and hear a sermon that is theocentric? Hmm. Who is God? What does the word say? That's what we care about. Um, yeah. And at times that will call us to uh, to poke at different sides of the political spectrum. Um, but there's a security actually that comes from that. And and I guess that would be my parting word for this podcast is hmm. in in this this world where people have all these these crumbling foundations, is the church going to be theocentric and offer that solid foundation that Jesus talks about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, building your life on the rock? Um, you know, the, the next verse of Isaiah 23 is, um, the Lord is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord forever. So um, that's our, our message. Of course, the gospel itself and salvation through Christ, but how that works out in our sanctification is growing in our sense of assurance and solidity because of our theocentric view that God is at the center of it all. Yeah, the reason for this is because God will never fail you. Right, that rock right. will never fail. Yeah. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That is our hope, that is our cry, that is our confession. And so, yeah, we hope that this has been an encouraging episode yep. for you as you've thought about our world um, and how we engage in it. I think the Christian has has this rock uh, and can rely on this rock, and this is something we we can share with others as we point them toward the kingdom of God, as we bear witness to the good news of, of Christ's kingdom uh, that is already and not fully here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we pray this has been an encouragement, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Yep, yep.